Hello out there. I'm Whitney. And I'm Will. And you're listening to Yelling About Superheroes. This is episode 13, 1-800-DEADPOO. We'll talk about the Merc with a Mouth in both his cinematic appearances, we're not counting Wolverine, and just the character in general in all his fourth wall breaking glory. Hey there, folks. Hope you've all got your pouches ready because today we are talking Deadpool. Wait, what does that even refer to? Is that like... The pouches thing. On his uniform? On his super suit? Yeah, like, Rob Liefeld has a... Mm. It's a huge meme of Rob making pouches. A meme I had somehow never heard about. He Um, literally made a character called The Pouch recently who's made entirely of pouches. That's weird. He's getting his own comic book. Oh, God. Comics needs to stop sometimes. Anyway, yeah, this 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 episode's getting off to a really good start. So, yeah, I mean, following up on our episode from last week about metatextuality in superhero stories, which in which we talked about Megamind and the Tick, you know, Deadpool's like the obvious character slash almost franchise at this point that everybody thinks of when they think of like meta, like self-referential stuff in superhero whatnot. So, I mean, and a new movie just came out, so we might as well talk about it. Yeah, it's... Well, it was timely. It'll be a little less timely by the time this episode gets out, but it's still... not even like super timely now. The episode, no, not the episode. The movie came out like a month ago at this point. But you know what? Oh well. We're uh, you know, better late than never, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. But yeah, you know, Deadpool has really exploded in popularity since even a little before his movie, I feel like. Oh, definitely. I feel like the proliferation of Deadpool cosplayers at various comic cons and their antics and stuff has sort of, you know, I don't actually know when Deadpool was created. I just realized I don't know that. So it's hard for me to say whether they made his popularity skyrocket or just helped it along or what. Like, I have no idea. And I realize I probably should have looked this up before we recorded this. Yeah, it was uh, 1991 with the New Mutants. Ah, interesting. Those are the ones that Fox is making a movie about, correct? It's under the same title, but I don't know if New Mutants at the time was the same group of characters Mm, that New Mutants are today. There's probably some overlap there, but... All I know is the movie is going to exist and Maisie Williams is going to be in it, and that's all I really care about at this juncture. But yeah, anyway, so good to know when Deadpool was created. Nice to know that little bit of trivia. Yeah, so, you know, with his debut in The New Mutants, he's been sort of X-Men adjacent as a character for a while. So a um, W-Man, maybe? <laughs> get it? Because I w- get it. Sorry, I, like I, I think I'm really funny, guys. I don't like it. I don't agree with it, but I get it. But, you know, it is Wade Wilson, so it makes some degree of sense. Mm-hmm. He's actually originally was loosely based on a character from DC, similarly oh. well-known Deathstroke the Terminator, hmm. um, who goes by Slade Wilson. <laughs> and the joke with his name originally was... Where do you do the death stroke? In the Deadpool. Oh, God. Oh, my God. That's awful. So that's my possibly apocryphal bit of trivia. I don't care. It's awful, and I'm so glad to know it. 
But yeah, you know, Deadpool in both the movies and I guess sometimes in the comics is not unique, but a little bit unusual among superhero characters in his basically what boils down to medium awareness. Yeah, definitely. You know, he knows that he's in a comic book and it varies a lot, I feel like, depending on where he's appearing in, but Mm -hmm. sometimes... Probably he's writing him too. Yeah, yeah. Like, in his own comics, Deadpool will, like, acknowledge the little yellow boxes that appear and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, even in some crossover books, he's still, like, a little more meta-commentary going on than usual. Although there's also some more serious books, like at least some incarnations of X-Force, where he's still a more humorous character... But at least in those books, isn't directly breaking or acknowledging the fourth wall. It's interesting, I think, some of the ways that varies a little bit. Um, And I think it's interesting also that they carried it over so effectively to the movies, because Mm -hmm. that is a pretty iconic part of his character at this point. Yeah, definitely. Before the movies, I was really skeptical that it could be done well on screen. Mm, I think Um, we all were. Yeah, but... Except for Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds was not skeptical at all. I feel like Ryan Reynolds had very good reason to be skeptical after the Deadpool and Wolverine. True. Very true. Oh, God. Yeah, that, that that was abysmal. But, you know, I mean, suffice to say they pulled it off in pretty spectacular fashion with that first movie. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I don't know. I will say, the first I ever learned of Deadpool, it was... Oh God, it's the most random memory, but my dad was watching some sort of cartoon. It might've been one of the X-Men cartoons from like the nineties or whatever. Maybe I'll have to ask him about it, but it was some like fake infomercial thing starring Deadpool. And they were, you know, telling the viewers to call the number 1-800-DEADPOO. And it's like, that's not his name. The letters just turned out that way or whatnot in a very sing-songy voice. So that's my, liter- my literal first memory of Deadpool as a character. And I feel like it very much like, it's, it's appropriate somehow. That's, that's good. I know. <laughs> I know. That's actually like one of the... I'll have to try to find that clip on YouTube or something for you to see. Because I swear to God, it seems like it's so ridiculous that... It's the kind of thing you would swear you just imagined or dreamed, but I swear to you it's real. And I will find it. That's interesting. I have no idea what it could be from, but I will find it. I'll ask my dad. Yeah. That could be either really good or just a little obnoxious. And I feel like that's a weakness, honestly, that Deadpool falls into sometimes because there are times, both like in the fan interpretations of him and even in the actual comics... Um, And, you know, of course, this is all something that's variable and different people like different things um, in characters for different reasons. And that's all uh, totally fine. But I have I do find that there are times when the comedic side of him is just a little bit overemphasized to the point that he becomes a little more than a walking super violent meme. Yeah, I I can see that. That sounds like a rather apt description of his character on a superficial level. Yeah. And I think there's a little more to Deadpool than that. Oh, definitely. Like if you, I think, you know, that can be serviceable for the character, but he's also got a sort of deeper side. To, I don't want to say deeper side necessarily, but... 
a more serious side. Yeah, and I think the more caring side. That and also a incredibly tragic side to him because oh, for sure. there's a, and this is something I think the movie did really well in. Or the first movie, at any rate. We can talk about the second movie yeah, later. Yeah, the first movie, and I think the second movie at least carried this aspect, these aspects of the character uh, pretty well. Tried to, I think. Well, again, we'll talk about that later. Yeah, and, you know, like, this guy, he... We'll see, we can mention his actual powers and stuff. He is genetically modified by this... It's generally by the same organizations that that gave Wolverine his adamantium skeleton... Um, they gave him an amped up version of Wolverine's healing factor, which which is already pretty him, intense to begin with. Yeah, which works even faster and allows him to do like straight up regenerating from decapitation and all kinds of other crazy, very stuff. extreme damage. Oh, seriously? Um, yeah. Sometimes as, the movies, I feel like even the second one especially, have felt like they've devolved into, oh, what's the nastiest wound we can give Deadpool to do gross things with this time? And that's always been a little bit of uh, how the character shows off the healing factor. And there is also the downside of the healing factor where his cells are constantly out of control and cancerous, and the healing factor is basically fighting that cancer constantly, thus his incredible deformities and everything. Mm, yeah. It's been like two years at this point, and I'm still laughing at some of the lines from the trailer for the very first movie. You look like an avocado fucked an older, uglier avocado. <laughs> yeah, and in the movie, they went so much more in detail with that metaphor and just took it like to the very edge of being too far, but it was still horrendously funny, I think is a good way to sum it up. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, Deadpool is kind of an asshole and certainly kind of insane but at the same time he is also a good guy when it comes down to it Mm -hmm. we see this in the first deadpool movie just of well maybe not in the first deadpool movie i was gonna say i don't i'm not really seeing it so much in there it's like he's this tragic character and he's violent and he's not He's certainly not heroic or good in the way that characters like Captain America or even Wolverine are good, but... Yeah, he's not good in a tropey way. Yeah, like, he does not he really has... fit any expectations of, like, you know, the superhero story. Like, he doesn't fit the American monomyth in the slightest. Yeah, yeah. But he has a certain degree of, I almost want to say, like, down-to-the-wire heroism, like... That makes sense, yeah. There are certain things that he will or will not do on moral grounds, even when he acts like he's just a buffoon who doesn't particularly care about anything. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I'm thinking of, I believe, Rick Remender's X-Force, where they go back to kill a um, Apocalypse, who turns out to just be a kid, and Deadpool is actively refuses to do it, and... Later on, when they're fighting about it, he, they, um, Wolverine and others dismiss him as just being some mercenary. Um, and then another member of the team reveals that he hadn't even been cashing the checks that they were paying him in the first place. Yikes. That is really interesting. Yeah. That that X-Force run has some interesting um, Deadpool things going on. Sometimes gruesome, but also very interesting. Sounds plausible. Let's see. Should we 
talk a little bit about the Deadpool movies in particular. Yeah, I think that's what we're both better versed in. Yeah, and there's a little bit I like to circle back to, like in the Lego Marvel games. Oh, um, but, yeah, totally. But as far as the movies go... Other than Wolverine Origins, probably. Yeah. I think... Let's just be completely clear about that. Where to, where to start with the Deadpool movies? I'll say for one thing, like the first one is they really managed to hit the characters, the character, the supporting cast, the basically everything that a Deadpool movie needed to be in a way that I don't see a lot of superhero movies doing outside of Marvel Studios. So, Are you talking about their characterization, the writing, or what exactly are you I, trying to hit on here? I think just the overall movie, like the characterization of Deadpool and even the supporting cast, like Colossus even, was very mm-hmm. well done for the admittedly exaggerated for comedic effect uh, situation that he was. Um, but Deadpool in particular, and really I'm thinking of like Deadpool supporting cast, but... Deadpool himself, I don't think, has a ton of super consistent supporting cast members besides... Well, I mean, I feel like he appears in the comics with Spider-Man a lot. I know I always see, like, completely out-of-context panels on the internet of Deadpool insisting on having sexual tension with Spider-Man and Spider-Man just being like, dude... Oh, yeah. Deadpool and Spider-Man is actually really good. Just as, like, two characters who are funny and wisecracking and otherwise very fundamentally different... So shame, shame um, it's Spock, a very okay. interesting dynamic. Shame Fox didn't acquire the rights to Spider-Man. We could have had that movie. You really think we'd have a Fox Spider-Man movie that was good? Okay, fair. That's fair. <laughs> Look, I'm gonna, all I'm going to say is I'm very... I don't think I'd want to trade Homecoming for anything. Yeah, I, I am with you there. And so anyway, yeah, we were talking the, about the movies and we kind of got a little off track. Yeah, I was thinking more specifically at Deadpool supporting cast, which yeah. I don't even know that he has Does very much of he almost because... like invent a supporting cast for him like was negasonic teenage warhead around at all in the comics before negasonic he... teenage warhead in the comics is a completely different character with very with really no relation to what she is in the movie at all hmm. you know colossus is just an x-man and is mostly there as a stand-in for the insert generic heroic x-man i feel like most of the characters deadpool interacts with as far as what i've read Mm-hmm. is Cable, obviously, who doesn't come in until Deadpool 2, and then mm-hmm. other X-Men-related characters who are usually in whatever X-Force or X-Men thing he's interacting with at the time. Mm, that's fair. Wolverine is a pretty common one for mm-hmm. obvious reasons. Yeah. But I don't know if there's any Aunt May or Mary Jane sort of characters in the Deadpool mythos. Like, Vanessa is, I'm pretty sure, based on a comic character, but I don't know enough about her to really hmm. judge that. And Cable is really the only one, only only other one I know who is specifically very closely associated with Deadpool. Yeah, that's interesting. But I do think the movie did a very good job of establishing, in some ways, a new supporting cast that plays off of him interestingly. Yeah, for sure. Like, for sure. The, what was the blind old woman's name? Oh, God. Oh, crap. I can't remember now. Uh, Al. Al? That, I think that was her name, wasn't it? I don't know, maybe. Yeah, yeah, there's a few interesting things I remember with the Deadpool movies. Like, one of them is, like, I don't know if I'm making this up or not, but it seems like there's almost a differential between the 
Deadpool and Wade Wilson. Like when he has the mask on, he's a little more meta commentary and fourth wall breaking than huh. he is when he's just Wade Wilson, even with the deformed face and stuff. That's interesting. That's not something I thought about before. Although Wade is definitely like all wisecracky and stuff from the beginning. I yeah. love the opening scene of the first Deadpool movie so much where he like busts into screw that dude up and like what just grabs, you know, he grabs like the slice of pizza and talks about pizza for like a solid two minutes. Oh yeah. 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 And it turns, and it turns out, and this is another part I really love that he was harassing this dude because the dude was harassing some like teenage girl or something. And Wade was like, literally stepped the entire hell off and got him to back off. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and when was... that was revealed, I was like, yes, this movie is going to be good. Yeah. That actually, I think, kind of showcases early on his generally being more or less decent enough. Yeah. More, mo- more, much more of a decent person than he thinks he is. Oh, that's absolutely the case. Yeah. Like, yeah, like he has this completely screwball sense of humor, but he definitely not only looks out for the little guys, but knows exactly who the little guys are. Like he gets what's up in the first movie, at least. I have thoughts on how that plays out in the second movie, but again, that'll be later. Yeah, yeah. And he's incredibly over the top, violent and deadly, but also it's generally concerned to be against people who... I'm going to see those, like, air quotes here, deserve it. Yeah, and... Which, you know, is not the sort of thing that holds up in real life, but for the purposes of a movie like this one, it carries well enough. Yeah, and, you know, I feel like we've kind of wandered into the subject of Deadpool's particular sort of system of morals anyway, so I actually want to talk about that for a second, because this is also, overall, one of the things I appreciated most about the first Deadpool movie was that Francis, what what name does he go by? He, he doesn't go by He calls Francis. himself Ajax. Right, Ajax. That I, was it. That was it. I, I knew I knew it, but I couldn't remember. I yeah. believe it's based on a comic character, but I don't know any details about him. Yeah, so Ajax is demonstrably a horrible human being. He shows absolutely zero regret for any of his completely heinous actions. But, you know, nonetheless, conventional superhero genre morality would have the heroes bring him to some weird nebulously defined notion of justice that's never really explored instead it's usually, of actually it's usually jail. stopping him. But you see what I'm saying, though? And Deadpool mm-hmm. is just like, no, screw that, and just shoots the guy. And he literally says as much, you know, this guy was terrible. There was no way he was ever going to stop being a terrible person. And I I can't remember if he actually says that if he had let Francis go, future harm Francis did would have sort of been his fault. But see, that's an extension of what bugs me the most about Batman, incidentally. Like, good God, just kill the Joker already. I'm sorry, but the Joker has never shown, much like so- Francis, never shown any let me finish, any regret for his actions, as far as I can tell. And every time Batman saves the dude or just like prevents him from dying somehow, even if it's only saving him obliquely, 
every single time the Joker goes on to cause more harm. How is that not Batman's fault? I, in some way, shape or form. So in that way, the resolution of Deadpool felt very much like a screw you to that particular trope, which I realize had its origins probably in the comics code. Where, yeah, it's you know, origins in a combination of the comics code and being able to have recurring villains. That's true. So in a, in a sense, it's more a function of like metatextual forces than anything. But still, in story, dear God, it bugs me so much. So I really appreciated like how the first Deadpool movie <clears throat> turned out for precisely that reason. It felt like it was... I mean, Deadpool, by definition, kind of is aware of the genre he's working in. But that was a moment in which I felt that that movie really sort of broke out of genre confines. In a yeah. really self-aware and meaningful way. And it was very, That's my soapbox. And it was very deliberately counter to the normal superhero attitude, which yeah, was which is personified why they had in the movie by Colossus. Colossus, yes, exactly. Yeah, they had it as an explicit foil to X-Men notions of justice and whatnot. Side note, something that I re- I've realized I want that I'm not well equipped to write at all. Somebody else should write this. Supervillain Trials. Like, dear God, somebody give me a version of, like, I don't know, The Good Wife or some other legal drama, but set in a superhero world with all these supervillains going to trial and stuff. Explore the ramifications of that. Dear God, somebody please do that. Well, there's this show called Daredevil. I mean, yeah, but you, you're never going to see, like, the Joker or... Thanos or whatnot actually like on trial. Freaking put those guys in the hot seat. I think there's at Give least that to some me. of that in some Daredevil or She-Hulk stories. That's but fair. That's, that's a story fair. for another day. I think also the whole like should Batman kill the Joker thing and all the associated like death related concepts surrounding that could could and probably will be their own episode topics at some point yeah, in the future. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I know we're going to do um, probably an episode on the Arkham games at some point. I have thoughts about the criminal justice system in those particular games as well. But yeah, again, another episode. Yeah, I, I'll i say right now, why is it Batman's responsibility to kill the Joker? But that's, I think, a question we can answer in another episode. Yeah, okay, that's actually a really good point. I'm glad you asked it now. I'll have time to think about it before we actually do that episode. So Deadpool. Yes, Deadpool. Um, yeah. but, Done soapboxing for the moment. But yeah, you know, and I think that's something that works primarily, maybe not primarily, but at least in a significant portion because the movie goes to great lengths to show exactly how terrible Ajax is. Or yeah. I should say Francis. Because hmm. that's his name, right? Yeah, Francis. But in a sense, like, how much more awful is... Francis, then your average, you know, run-of-the-mill mad scientist dude. I almost think the thing that sort of cements Francis as beyond redemption is when he... Doesn't he explicitly say that he feels literally no emotion and can therefore feel no guilt for his actions? That sounds familiar. I honestly don't remember. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he does say that. Um, yeah, it's been a while since I've seen the first movie, too. That really makes it clear that there is no, you know, 
moment of self-reflection for this dude. There's nothing like that mm-hmm. in store what whatsoever. I don't know. I feel like they have to include that. And like, I don't know. I think they actually also make it explicit that that's a mutation that Francis has. I don't know. I could be wrong about that. But making it so that the dude is literally incapable of anything approaching redeeming himself explicitly like canonically out straight out of Ed Skrine's mouth. I feel like the morality would have been much less cut and dry. The morality of Deadpool subsequently killing him if they hadn't made that clear. I don't know. That's interesting. Or or maybe on the flip side, they're just putting words to what they think surely every mad scientist trope in superhero movies or comics must be actually thinking Maybe they're just actualizing what they see in the trope. I don't know. I think it's hard to tell. Yeah, that's an interesting conversation. Because I think there's a few different things we could unpack with that and the morality of uh, killing a person who is literally incapable of remorse, almost as like a... Incapable of remorse and capable of gigantic amounts of harm. Yeah. Like it should be reiterated that dear god this guy screws people up badly yeah and there's and there's i think probably a lot to be discussed there um yeah i also want to give a shout out to wade and vanessa specifically in the first movie for just being really creatively and like faithfully to the characters done yeah yeah you know like their whole holiday montage was oh god an interesting blend of feelings, but also very, like, actually sweet and stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, it's over the top and very unequivocally R-rated, but it's also got real emotional weight to it. Yeah, like, you can tell these two really, really like each other. A lot. It's like, you know, in they Parks and Rec, I love you and other. I like you. <laughs> it's, it's clear that they have multiple layers to that relationship. It's not just the, you know, R-rated passion or whatever. They genuinely enjoy each other's company. Yeah. And I and thought I, it was, I love that so much. Yeah. And I thought it was very interesting that for a character as who seems at first glance as dramatically unwholesome as Deadpool that they would include a relationship like that. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that kind of goes back to, you know, him being this smarmy, medium-aware, mild asshole on the outside, but, like, a genuinely caring person on the inside. That goes back to what you were talking about earlier. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think that was their way of seeing and honoring that aspect of the character, at least in that movie. Yeah. All right, so I think that we've covered that, like, any specific to the first movie notes that we've had? I mean, yeah, I think so. Yeah, actually, before we get to the second movie, I kind of wanted to take a brief time out for the Lego Marvel superheroes game. Yes, yes, you did say you wanted to return to that later. Go on. Um, Because that game actually has Deadpool in it pretty prominently. Hmm. Not as a, like, main character in the story, but, like, and this is interesting just in that Lego Marvel is very obviously a game for kids. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, it's 100% G-rated, everyone's little plastic figures and all that. And for all that Deadpool as a movie needed to be R-rated to be a faithful adaptation, I feel like they actually did a 
pretty solid, like, G-rated Deadpool in that movie. Really? It's not, it's not a movie, though. In that game. Right, right. yeah. Um, can, wait, can you play as Deadpool? Yeah, I mean, it's a Lego <laughs> game, so you can play as everyone. Right, right, right. But it's like, Deadpool, A, has a little cameo appearance in all of the, like, main levels of the game, but also every single side level of the game, which are, you know, shorter bonus level type things mm-hmm, with the mm-hmm. Different set of characters and situation all feature um, Deadpool as the dude narrating the intro and oh, the ongoing great. mission of that's all of them. Great. And there's like a little helicarrier. There's a little Deadpool's room on the helicarrier, which has all of your collectible things on it. Um, and he's generally still has this medium awareness and is talking directly to the viewer and is mm-hmm. still sarcastic and entertaining. That's great. And also when you run out of health when you're playing as Deadpool because it has the healing factor power. Um, you uh-huh. basically become temporarily a little Lego skeleton with a Deadpool mask and swords. <laughs> oh, man. Which is great. Yeah, now you've really made me want to play this game. Congratulations. Yeah, we're gonna... he, He's been on me to play it with him for, like, months now. Yeah, pretty much. we might have an episode eventually about even... Maybe not specifically about the Lego Marvel... Um, the Lego superhero games in general, but we're definitely going to play through them and that might influence future episode things. So now is it time to talk about Deadpool 2, do you think? Or have you said your piece on... <laughs> said your piece on the Lego games? <laughs> that was so bad! Oh my god! I'm going to say yes. Okay. And yeah, I'll let you start with this besides the things I'm going to say like right here because I know that you have very significant problems with yeah. the movie, which... Or wait, you know, do you want to about... say what you want to say first? Because I yeah. I have another soapbox on I'm gonna, this, guys. I'm going to let you take over in a second because, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, you've talked about your issues with it already and... In our I, private conversations, not yeah, on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. And I really do see, do um, see your point with pretty much all of them. You know, I think I think I was not as harsh on the movie as you were, but I do think that the first movie was probably better um, than the second one was. Not, I'm not going to say I think the second one was bad, um, but I think that you know, as we've discussed, it does have a certain degree of issues to it. Um, yeah. But I think it also does other things very well, like Domino. Domino was wonderful, and also Zazie Beetz is gorgeous. Just saying. I love her already. I don't know anything about her, but I love her. Anyway, yeah. that's me being incredibly not straight. Domino's great. Oh, she's wonderful, though. Best part of the movie, easily. And I, I feel like Deadpool himself would actually agree with that. Probably. Except he's totally skeptical of her superpower at first, but... <laughs> I think it, I think he was... I think it was reasonable to be skeptical up until the point where she landed on the giant inflatable panda. <laughs> Yes! Oh my god, that was just the cutest moment. I think I saw somebody draw a really cute fan art of it on Twitter. I think Gail Simone retweeted it. That's great. Oh, it was it was so good. So good. Yeah, so I really loved Donna. Like, to be clear, it's not as if I hated this movie. I really wanted to like it, but I will admit I was spoiled for one major plot twist that admittedly happens pretty early on. Yeah, it should be said that there will be hella spoilers for Deadpool 2 from here on out. So if you haven't seen the movie and you don't want to be spoiled and somehow already haven't been spoiled by the internet, 
then stop listening right now. Okay, well, I've given you enough time to hit pause, I think. Mm-hmm. So the first main problem I have with Deadpool 2 is that Vanessa gets killed and it kind of sucks. And, and another one of the things, I, it takes away another one of the things I really liked about the first Deadpool movie. A genuinely happy ending, for one thing, which is not something a lot of superhero girlfriends get. Let's be real, the women in refrigerators trope exists for a very unfortunate reason. And also, this is not really my lane necessarily, but I've seen other people speak to this. I think by and large, Vanessa was actually pretty positive representation for sex workers. And to have her killed within like the first freaking 10 minutes of Deadpool 2 after getting like a weirdly cinematically happy ending in the first movie. Ouch. Just ouch. That smarts. And to make it worse, to sort of like add insult to injury there, that happens before the sort of introductory credits of the movie. So you remember how in the first Deadpool movie, they just riffed off, um, the actual cast members and the um, and made all sorts of like metatextual jokes in the yeah, credits. Yeah, the slow mo thing as he's yes. crashing into the van. I forgot about that. Yeah, that yeah, was, yeah. And that Ryan, was Ryan Reynolds really amazingly done. I know, like, and Ryan Reynolds CGI was everything. God's perfect idiot in those credits. It was really funny. These credits were almost lampooning the fact that they had just killed Vanessa anyway, because it was like. I don't remember how they worded it exactly, but it was like, wait, did they just kill her? Seriously? And like a whole freaking three minutes of that, which felt like them poking fun at the kind of not so good thing they'd just done to one of their most prominent female characters. And I was just like... Written by the real villains. I mean, yeah, but them attempting to be self-aware about it doesn't necessarily negate the fact that they still did it and it was still like not super good i will say i haven't read a lot of this discussion but like gail simone herself doesn't think vanessa necessarily falls into the women in refrigerators trope box and i i need to catch up on that whole discussion i think there's a lot of good talk to be had on the trope itself and how it's constructed and stuff like that with that said though just because Vanessa's death doesn't fall into a particular tropey checkbox that happens to be a common one, doesn't mean it wasn't crappy. Yeah, I would agree. Like, I yeah, I don't think it would qualify as a like fridge situation because she she genuinely but, did get so much character development and like they yeah yeah really worked hard to make her death mean something like it obviously had a massive effect on weight yeah and, and it's, yeah yeah it's more than like it does motivate him to some degree but it's not just a oh she's going to die to motivate the main character it's you know there's a it, there's a whole thematic bit that goes along with yeah it, which yeah is <laughs> there's more to it than it. just the like oh she's dead to motivate the character thing that the fridge thing would qualify for but i uh, i totally agree that it does leave a bad taste in my mouth yeah for most of the movie. after only the first 10 minutes and it didn't get better from there and i do yeah i will say that the fact that again like 
you know, spoilers, in that whole post-credit sequence that he brings her back with the time travel gizmo. That's true, that's true. I think kind of puts it in a weird gray area. Yeah, yeah, that is true. making up for it in some way at the last minute, almost. I don't know. I would have to see how it gets, how it goes along in the next movie, almost, to really fully process I agree with that. Has Deadpool 3 been confirmed? Are they doing that? They haven't officially done it, but unless Deadpool 2 was like a significant bomber or there's like a weird studio situation. Which there could be if like Disney is well and truly buying the hell out of Fox. Like that could happen. Yeah. I I don't know. I think that a Deadpool 3 would probably be... I would be in favor of a Deadpool 3, but... Yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, that is giant problem number one I have with this movie. Number two, it'll come across as a nitpick of one particular moment, but the whole sort of thematic whatnot connected to Vanessa's death is sort of a theme of family and the whole found family thing is a massive trope in this movie which normally I love and I think to a degree this movie did the trope very well but Vanessa has this one line and it just absolutely sticks in my cross she says something like and she and waiter talking about starting a family and she says kids give us a chance to be better than we are and I see what she was getting at kind of with that line, but also, good lord, children are not your effing redemption arc. They're not like, I don't know, the, the, that line had the effect for me of characterizing kids as means to an end rather than like their own complete separate people. And I just really didn't like that attitude at all. So that really bugged me. Yeah, I see where the issue comes from, although I feel like the fact that they're talking about a kid that isn't actually its own separate person at the time, kind of... I don't think that does anything to help. I really don't. Because, like, even if the kid being discussed doesn't exist yet, at this stage, they are planning to make a kid that does exist. And that kid will still be its own its own person, even though it's a hypothetical entity at this point. And I feel like they were just approaching things with kind of the wrong attitude, almost. They shouldn't do right by their hypothetical future kid to make themselves better people or to like... I don't think the idea is that they make themselves better people. It was really badly phrased and it kind of like gave that impression. I think it was badly phrased, but I don't think it's supposed to mean like... Yeah, like... Be good to your kid for the sake of your kid. Yeah, I don't think it means like an ultimately selfish thing. I think the idea of when she says being better than we are, I don't think that necessarily exactly means making themselves better people directly. I mean, to a degree, like I really want to interpret that more charitably, but I don't know. The selfish interpretation still seems the most obvious interpretation to me and that just absolutely did not sit right with me at all and it made the whole like rest of the movie and all the interstitial scenes with Vanessa in which Wade is dying and or dead ring really hollow even more hollow than they 
would have would have even if it had just been Vanessa being unjustly killed. I'm not, just, I'm not sure why that one line affects it that much, but I don't know. Maybe maybe it was just me reacting to things in a very particular way. I don't know. That whole emotional subplot just did not work for me at all. And I can pretty much trace it to those two factors, which really just, it kind of sucks because I loved them as a pair in the first movie. And it feels so jarring to just not be into their emotional moments on screen. I'm just like, what is going on here? So that's my second problem with the movie. Potentially, again, a minor nitpick. Potentially a very particular personal reaction. I don't know. Third one, and I really hope I articulate this decently well. Gonna go back to the first movie for a second. In a sense, the you can interpret the first Deadpool movie as being about abuse and abuse survivors. There's no bones about it. What Wade had to endure in Francis's you know, House of Nightmares or whatever, like that was unquestionably like hardcore abuse. And the movie ended yeah. with him, with Wade killing his abuser, which sort of brings an extra almost level of poetic justice, I guess, to the resolution of that movie. So coming back to the second movie, they attempt to tackle a similar subject, but they don't really, it's off. It just doesn't work. I can trace the problems to a couple different sources, I think. Like, number one, I feel like Deadpool's characterization regarding... What's the kid's name again? Not Firefist, but... Russell. Russell. That's the name. Sorry. I'm really bad with names today for some reason. I forgot it too. Yeah. At first, when Deadpool's going with Colossus and Negasonic to intervene at the school, quote-unquote school... He has that moment where he turns to, I think it's Colossus or maybe it's a police officer and goes, no, the kid's been abused. You can tell, you can always tell. And man, Ryan Reynolds' delivery of that line was just really poignant for me. Like I felt all of Deadpool's history, his crappy treatment at Francis's hands behind that line. That was a really poignant moment for me. But then, I don't know, the... And he does kill, like, one of the abusers right there, doesn't he? Yes, he does. And that's that's a way in which the movie sort of upholds the sort of ethos of the first movie. But then the rest of the movie doesn't always deliver on that. I'm thinking of, in particular, the bit in the prison when Deadpool is fighting Cable. And Deadpool's like, I don't give a shit about the kid or whatever. And the kid hears... I keep thinking about that line and wondering if Deadpool was just saying it to, I don't know, appear all tough in front of Cable or piss Cable off or whatever. But I don't buy Deadpool not giving a crap about this kid. Well, yeah, obviously. That's made pretty clear through the whole movie that he does actually care about the kid no matter how much he doesn't want to admit it. But I feel like that sort of saying one thing and meaning another, that's not necessarily the most Deadpool thing. That's mm, I I, There's it... not enough sincerity there for me to really feel like it's accurate. Okay, I'm remembering, I have not read like any Deadpool comics at all. Disclaimer, sorry. But I'm remembering this one segment, I guess, of a Deadpool comic that I saw in, you know, picture form on the internet in which Deadpool 
stops a girl from committing suicide by jumping off a tall building, not by, you know, spouting platitudes at her, like, oh, everything's going to be okay or whatnot. He, I mean, jokes around with her and has his signature morbid humor or whatnot, but he genuinely does a lot of nice things for her. He freaking scams somebody out out of Hamilton tickets and takes her to Hamilton, of all things. And then he drops her off at a hospital and says, very frankly, you know what, I can't help you, but I'm taking you to people who can. And he's incredibly genuine about it. You never get the sense that he's putting on some sort of bluff for himself or anything like that. And I I don't know, something about him, something about the way he thinks about Russell just did not feel accurate to me. Like specifically, I don't think he would have had to I don't think he would have felt the need to pretend that he doesn't care about this kid. I that doesn't seem right to me. might not under normal circumstances, and he eventually gets over that, of course. But I think like that with the particularly like terrible situation he was in at the time where like you know the one person he had legitimately cared about had just died, and he was stuck in his prison, slowly dying without his powers or anything, mm-hmm. that he was not really in the same sort of state where he might be willing to acknowledge that sort of thing. I can... Okay, you do raise a good point there. You know, I think... I don't know. The movie... But they also make such a big deal, or he makes such a big deal out of him trying to find something else to live for. And he's like, oh my God, I have to rescue this kid. And it's framed as this big moment of truth, realization, whatnot. And... I don't know. None of the pieces are quite fitting together right for me. Like, it's it's not framed as an, oh, I was kidding myself the entire time. I actually do really care about this kid. It's as if a switch gets flipped. And that seems really forced. I don't know. I just don't think I saw anything like that. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm like, I was already inclined to be pretty hard on this movie after they killed off Vanessa. So maybe this is just me being extra hard on this movie. Yeah, so there's that. But that's not the only problem I have with the way this movie treats the subject of abuse. Like, besides me finding it very hard to believe that Deadpool wouldn't unreservedly, genuinely sympathize with a victim of similar stuff to what he's gone through, the school itself, the facility for... I don't know what sort of weird dystopian name they give it in the movie. I don't remember that off the top of my head. It's like Essex something or other. Yeah. I mean, they established pretty quickly that there is truly heinous abuse going on there. And notably, the avatar of that school, like the character who represents everything that's been done to kids at that school, is... I'm speaking about this cautiously, but I couldn't fail to notice that sort of the avatar of all the trauma inflicted on children at that school is a Maori kid. So, you know, I see that and I can't help but think of the absolute atrocities inflicted on the indigenous peoples of not just New Zealand, but Australia as well. Just absolutely heinous treatment that I, I, what I know of that is like the tip of the iceberg, but It's horrible stuff. So I think of that, and I think of the residential schools in Canada, which the Canadian government just issued an official apology for, like, a couple years ago, max. But Canada's indigenous peoples were treated absolutely horribly at these things. 
And of course the US wasn't exempt from that. I think I could be getting my history horribly wrong here. People feel free to leave us voice messages and correct me if I do get this wrong. I feel like, no, I think in the US with the way we treated Native American peoples, it was in like in a mix of, I guess, schools run by missionaries and like some state schooling as well. But either way, Native American kids in these schools were brutally stripped of their identities, their language. They were forcibly quote unquote Americanized or Westernized or whatever the, whatever the term for that would be. Then again, later in the movie, we get Domino sort of reflecting back on the time that she spent at this same institution. And it doesn't seem to bother her too much. She just casually goes, oh, I was tortured here. And again, that's another character of color who had all these horrible things visited upon her, lucky or no, I'm sure she still got the crap end of the stick being at the ins- being at this institution. So these people are stepping, the writers are stepping in so much history here. And I'm not sure, okay, to be fair, I'm not sure I necessarily grasp the full stakes of it either, but that feels like an area of history they maybe shouldn't have stepped in without doing like a crap ton of like research beforehand and consulting people, maybe like I don't know, sensitivity readers or whatnot. Like, so there's that. And then the sort of resolution of the movie, again, reminder, first Deadpool movie ended with Deadpool, I think justifiably killing his abuser. And then second movie ends with Deadpool convincing Russell not to kill his own abuser, the schoolmaster who's visited so much hell upon him at only 14 years old too. Good God. I don't know. I, I feel as if the core moral systems of these movies are almost at odds with each other in a way that I'm not sure can be adequately explained. I don't know. I'm having a lot of trouble with it personally. That's me. Yeah. So I... yeah, that's, that's my big soapbox about Deadpool 2 and the problems I had with it. I wanted to like this movie. I wish I could have liked this movie, you guys, but... So yeah, it's kind of disappointing given how much I liked the first one. It's... Again, soapbox. Yeah, soapbox done. Stepping off the soapbox. So I think I definitely see where you're coming from with all these issues, and I think that they probably add up to the reasons that I... I mean, I didn't have as much problem with the movie as you did, but I do think it didn't quite live up to the charm of the first one and that some of these things might be part of the reason why. I mean, I'm not really qualified either to talk about the racial undertones of the Russell's actor and the abusive school situation. Yeah. Although it doesn't necessarily seem fair to me to use a single character played by a Maori actor as the avatar of, not avatar, but as a representative of all native populations subjugated by colonization Uh, and abusive schools. But I mean, given how like vanishingly little representation of really any like indigenous peoples there is on screen in general, it's kind of hard not to in a sense. And also like this is history they'd be stepping in no matter how many characters of that particular ethnicity were on that screen no matter what. 
Like, they'd still be stepping in it with their particular choice of plot lines. Possibly, yeah. And I think there's... uh, I think that's certainly, like, something that should be included in certain interpretation because this is still touching on the very long-running X-Men theme of allegories for, like, marginalized people of all sorts of different demographics. Yeah. And I have a problem with the whole allegory thing in general, but that is a topic for a whole other episode because let me tell you, I could soapbox for ages on that. Yeah, but there's certainly a precedent for drawing that sort of connection. And there's also, unfortunately, plenty of precedent for the allegories not really working because past a certain point, the analogies completely fall apart. But yes, anyway. Yeah. One note that I do think is I... really cool. Sorry, I'll let you talk in a second. But in case you haven't heard this cool little nugget, the actor who played Russell, Julian Denson, incorporated Hakka motions into his whole fire ability. I think that's really freaking cool. I was so excited to read that. That is actually really cool. Right? I actually think that the whole situation with Domino and the being torched to the same place thing is interesting just because I would want to explore her character a little bit more in other movies and see her get a little more expanded on. Yeah, I think that was partly my issue with the casual fact drop. Like, they didn't explore that at all. And that's something that kind of needs exploring. They didn't really have time to do that. I don't know. Yeah, but I think we see a little bit of Tomino's characterization. And she almost seems a little bit detached from things in general possibly from her luck I powers. I did get like, that sense. When yeah. she's signing up for X-Force, she's like, yeah, things usually work out. And I don't know. I am really interested to see this incarnation of Domino get a little more development and become a more rounded character. And let's kind of see how, see if that might be some particular thing with her of maybe not getting particularly emotionally invested into things for mm-hmm. one reason or another. That would that's would be interesting to explore. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be really interested to read Gail Simone's Domino run and see if that's a trait that comes across in those books as well, or if that's like a Fox verse invention of sorts. Yeah, I don't know nearly enough about comics Domino. Me to neither, me neither. We understand it, but I do think that the character in Gail Simone's run is... Still has a lot of things in common based on like what I've seen of Gil Simone talking about it, talking mm-hmm. about the movie as well, but yeah. it's probably a nonetheless very different interpretation of the character or a very different situation for her. Yeah, yeah. But... Yeah, screw a Deadpool 3 movie. I just want a Domino movie. But Like, yeah. actually, though. Yeah, I'd be on board. Yeah, I think this the whole situation of the like Deadpool killing his abuser versus Russell shown to not someone who shouldn't be killing his is a little bit i definitely see how there's a sort of disconnect between the two movies there Mm -hmm. and i think russell is i think there's enough pretty dramatic differences in the situations that it doesn't really necessarily feel like it's undercutting it there but i do think that it could have it could have stood to have a little more thought put into it. Mm-hmm. You know, like Deadpool kills Francis. I I would almost want to watch the first movie again and really try to nail down exactly why Deadpool wants to kill Francis. Because some of it definitely does feel like it's almost a revenge-driven thing. 
Yeah. Which is pretty similar motivation to why Russell wants to kill... Mysterious... Freaky... Kooky schoolmaster dude. Evil principal guy. But it's also, you know, in the first Deadpool, you mention him being like, you know, wanting to prevent Francis from causing other people any harm or and any things more like that. harm than he any already more harm, yeah, very yeah. much has you yeah know, or at, the very think... le- at the very least pointing out that bringing him to this abstract notion of justice would have ultimately done nothing concrete to prevent francis from screwing people over all over again and i think that also there's a lot yeah. of commentary to be made in that like justice system spinoff i proposed earlier about how well and truly screwed this world's justice system is. And I'm sure there is, but that's another episode's topic. Yeah. yeah, but I think Russell going after the principal guy is similar in some ways, but still kind of a different thing than Deadpool going after Francis. And I think, like, you know, the fact that Russell's just a kid who is absolutely not fully, like, emotionally developed and all that, mm-hmm. and... Is Wade even fully emotionally developed, though? Uh, Let's be honest here. I mean, you have a point. (laughs) Sorry, did I interrupt your train of thought? A little bit. Sorry. But it's difficult to say, I think, whether there's really that much difference in Russell going on this rampage to kill the random principal guy versus Deadpool going on... I mean, he does very much go on a rampage of revenge to kill to kill Francis. Yeah, and I think also, does he go on a rampage of revenge to kill the people who killed Vanessa? Or like the one dude who he didn't manage to kill the first time who killed Vanessa? Does he do that? I mean, the one dude he definitely goes after and like kills the stuff. He has a whole thing where he like grabs him on the street and gets hit by an ambulance. Right, right. Yes, yes, yes. I remember now. So, yeah. And I, like, to a degree... There are merits to making movies and, you know, TV shows and whatnot that are about breaking the cycle of abuse. I can see the merits in that, absolutely. But to have this message espoused by somebody who has already gotten his very particular revenge against his abuser in violent fashion, it feels weird. It's it's jarring. It doesn't work. I see what, I see what you mean there, yeah. Yeah. But... I don't know. I I feel like the only difference I can think of to justify it is that Wade is... He is an adult. Grown-ass man. Yeah. He has killed people before. He understands what the... Emotional cost of it is? To an extent, yeah. uh, Maybe it's like... He kills with such impunity that, like, does he really, though? At the same time, I feel like Wade already sees himself as a... I almost want to say, like, a broken person, even. Yeah, I can see that. And this is something I'm only just putting together now. Like, as far as killing people and the emotional trauma and disturbance that goes, that would come out of that, it feels like Deadpool has kind of done it enough and kind of resigned himself to however much of that he needs to do. Whereas he, like, sees Russell as somebody who could go down a similar path that Deadpool did, but might not necessarily have to, almost. like Okay, maybe, that makes more sense. Maybe what it comes down to is even Deadpool sees the commonalities between his situation and the kids, and he 
wants to find a way to keep the kid from turning out like him even yeah you know like traveler from the future no totally totally yeah because like you know you have the whole thing of oh he kills this one guy and then he becomes a crazy killing monster guy and does evil stuff, which yeah. which you know, like is there are more problems a, with that too. I'm not. Yeah, I haven't even begun to like parse a that plot device, and that's you know still something that the people writing the movie are still the ones like deciding on all that. So that's kind of another, yeah, uh, and it's weird because that there. kind of connects to that. It does connect to Vanessa's whole badly phrasing about kids. Kids give us a chance to be better than we are. Like it's weird. I feel like they had all the pieces for a really gut-wrenchingly poignant message about, you know, abuse and the cycles thereof, but they didn't manage to put the pieces together very well, if at all. Yeah, I think I see what you mean there. Yeah, like, they, they, they had, I think, most of the ingredients for it to work. It's just clearing up the writing and the characterization in a few really important places would have unified that whole message made it so much more cohesive not just in this movie but between the first and second movies as well and provided a really freaking nuanced character arc to boot but they didn't quite manage it i don't know it feels like it feels like that one this is random but i just thought of this this is this is one cartoon i saw that one time like a granddaughter's trying to teach her grandmother to use chopsticks for noodles. And the grandmother is like, oh, whoops, I made a blanket. And she's accidentally like knit the noodles together. It's like they created something completely different and kind of nonsensical from what they probably should have done. It's a weird connection to make, but I don't know. It's the best way I can think of at the moment to try to communicate the impression I have of this movie. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, weird. I know. I will freely admit to that. They made a noodle sweater. (laughs) Honestly, I can 100% picture a noodle sweater appearing in some future Deadpool comic. I Like, Deadpool is exactly the sort of person who would try to knit a sweater out of noodles. I don't think he is. He he made, like, 10,000 pancakes once. That feels... Honestly, that feels a little more like the walking internet meme Deadpool than the interesting one, but that's a whole other discussion. I mean, it probably depends on, like, which writer it's under. But yeah, anyway. Yeah, um, I think we're running out of time here. I think yeah. we've covered most of the... Yeah, I, we've certainly covered all stuff. my soapbox topics, so <laughs> that's what I care about. You know, um... And I also care about his opinions, too. This is a co-hosting deal. Yeah, so that's, uh... Some discussion on Deadpool. I think there's certainly still um, a lot we could talk about with other aspects of the character and other yeah. appearances that he's had. Um, yeah, but... definitely. We may come back to this topic when we've like actually read more Deadpool comics, for all we know. Because yeah, I, certain... I haven't read Jack. There's certainly more in the realm of metatextual superhero characters in yeah. general as well to discuss. And, yeah, know, and playing, playing around with the confines of specifically the comic book genre. That would be interesting to explore. Yeah. But and we might time. circle back to Deadpool in the future. But for now, yeah. um, I think that's about all we've got for tonight. Yep. Yeah, thanks for listening as always. And bye. Laters. That's it for this episode of Yelling About Superheroes. 
For more yelling, you can follow us on Twitter at yellinabtsupers or check out our website at anchor.fm slash yelling-about-superheroes. You can also visit Whitney's blog at whitneythompson.wordpress.com where we post our reading lists for each episode. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and we'd love it if you leave us a review as well. Our theme music was composed by Rodrigo Vicente and you can listen to more of his work at hooksounds.com. Thanks for tuning in. See you next time.